What, what a testimony to God's amazing, miraculous grace. I want us to uh, think about one aspect of the testimonies that we just heard. You should have heard very loud and clear from those testimonies that they want you to think of them as pilgrims. Now, we don't use the language of pilgrims that much in our day, do we? So it's probably good to get a little refresher. It's not really a hard definition, but just a little refresher on what a pilgrim is. And a pilgrim is basically just someone who has left somewhere, right, and is going somewhere else. They're on a journey to another location, another destination. And the pilgrim we are talking about here is not just any pilgrimage. It's not just to any new location. It is the greatest pilgrimage of all. It is a pilgrimage to God's kingdom. It is a pilgrimage to the very presence of God himself. The testimony we heard that Jesus is Lord and Savior is a confession that they are no longer citizens of this world. They have revoked their earthly citizenship. In other words, they're no longer in rebellion against God. The, the, the earth where they lived is no longer their home. They don't belong here. Their loyalty is somewhere else. They are strangers, pilgrims, exiles, wanderers. So they, 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 they're no longer going in the same direction they were going in. <laughs> and not only that, the testimony that Jesus is Lord and Savior is a confession of one who belongs to another kingdom. They belong somewhere else. The kingdom of God. And now they are in the process of going home. That's what they were saying when they were confessing Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior. They were saying, this is no longer my home. I belong to another kingdom. So what does this pilgrimage look like? And God has given us many pictures in the Bible, but particularly through the Israelites, we can have a picture of what this pilgrimage looks like. Israel is supposed to teach us through their example, through their story. They're kind of like on the center stage of a play. And one of the lessons we can learn from them is what it looks like to be on pilgrimage. And do you remember in the book of Isaiah where we saw that they were on pilgrimage? We, we often think of the Exodus, right? And that's exactly a picture of pilgrimage when they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt and they were headed towards the promised land. That's the pilgrimage right there through the desert, through the wilderness. And, uh, and God was bringing them there. It's kind of like where we are right now, right? But there's another picture. And the other picture is when Israel was delivered from the Babylonian captivity. You know, and the Babylonian captivity represented their bondage to their sin. They were in Babylon because of their sin, right? And so are we, in a similar way, in bondage because of our sin. They are supposed to help us see ourselves, right? And then what happened? God miraculously delivered them from the, the bondage of the Babylonians. 
with his mighty hand, his outstretched hand, by his powerful mighty hand, he delivered them from bondage. That's like us, isn't it? We were delivered from our sin when we trusted in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. When we look to him and his work on the cross as the basis through which we might be saved, we too were delivered from our captivity and our bondage. And then, our lives are now on pilgrimage, right? Just like Israel was going to the promised land, right? They're going to the, the, the land of promise, back to where they had been kicked out of. They're going back to the land of promise, back to Jerusalem. And so are we going to the promised land. We're going to the kingdom of God. And God promised to take care of them on that journey, didn't he? And so has God promised to take care of us on our journey. Throughout the book of Isaiah that we just finished, you can find specific references where God either instructs his people about what to do when they're delivered from Babylon or just tells them about what God's going to do and, and how they're going to be pilgrims. All right, And so I want to read just a few verses here. Isaiah 48, verse 20, tells his people, God tells his people to get ready to leave Babylon. We read, go out from Babylon, flee from Chaldea, declare this with a shout of joy, proclaim it, send it out to the end of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. And how about Isaiah 62, verse 10 through 12? Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal for the people's. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called, sought out a city not forsaken. And then finally, and this is one of my favorite verses in all of Isaiah, passages here. And it's a, it's a, it's a God telling his people that there's going to be a great pilgrimage that's going to go on. It's Isaiah 2, verse 2 through 3. It shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. There is the pilgrimage. <laughs> and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So what can we learn from these passages about this pilgrimage that we are on? If you are trusting in Jesus, you are on a pilgrimage today. What can we learn about this pilgrimage? First, if you're a pilgrim, you're no longer to see yourself as a citizen of this world. That's, by the way, exactly what Jesus told his disciples, that they're no longer to see themselves as citizens of the world. And you might never have thought of these verses that way, but think about Matthew 16, 24 through 25, and think about how Jesus is telling them they're no longer to think of themselves as citizens of this world. Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. What he's saying there is you must renounce your citizenship to this world. No longer are you to be the ruler of your life. 
No longer are your self-centered nature to be the ruling factor in your life. You are no longer to be on the throne. That's what it means to deny yourself. And that, by the way, is what it means to be a citizen of this world. Is when you're in charge, when you're on the throne, when you are the God of your life. But you are no longer enslaved to sin's power. You don't have to obey its wish if you're in Christ Jesus. You now live in reference to who God is. You bow to one Lord and one Master, and that's Jesus Christ. If you're a pilgrim, you're to see yourself as passing through as strangers in this world. Listen to what Abraham said in Hebrews 11 verse 9, the testimony of someone who was a pilgrim. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. To be in exile means you're going somewhere else. This isn't your destination, and you must not live as if this was your destination. You're an alien, an exile, a stranger. You're supposed to look different, right? You're supposed to look weird and odd for all the right reasons. One of the ways we look different is we don't hold so tightly to this world anymore, do we? We don't fall apart and get angry when we don't get our way, when things don't work the way they're supposed to. Why? Because we don't love this world supremely. And we know this world is going to pass away. We know this world is ending. It is not our home. If you're a pilgrim, you're to see yourself as going home and longing for it. And I want to emphasize that longing. We are longing for our home. That is the way it should be. When our hearts are right, we are longing for our home. We want to be home. And we can find many testimonies of pilgrims who are longing for home, but I'll just give you a few. And, and I have to really restrain myself here because of time, right? Hebrews 11 verse 10. Listen to this testimony. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. How about Hebrews 11 verse 13? All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Hebrews 11 verse 16, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Philippians 3 verse 20, this is from the New Testament, again. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice those words, seen them. We're seeing what awaits us. Desiring a better country. Eagerly waiting for what is ahead of us. So what is this home that the pilgrims are longing for? You know, and we could spend a long time looking at this. We have in Isaiah. But I'm just going to tell you one reference where Jesus himself speaks about what awaits us. And his disciples, Peter particularly, asks him a question. And this is what Jesus says after Peter asks him in Matthew 19, 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Notice, he's saying we have become pilgrims. <laughs> we are pilgrims. <laughs> we have left everything. We are disciples. A disciple is very similar to pilgrim, isn't it? A disciple is someone who's following Jesus. That's a pilgrim, right? So he says, we have left everything and followed you. We are pilgrims. What do we have? Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit 
on his glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. A glorious, eternal kingdom belongs to every pilgrim. What a great thought. Well, how about the pilgrimage itself? Does God promise us an easy life? What about the journey in between? I mean, God says he'll take care of us, but does he promise that it'll be easy? And the answer is God does not promise an easier life at all. The only difference is between you and me is some of us will experience more difficulties than others, right? From the day we were born, we were crying. We will cry throughout our lives and we will die crying, right? The older you get, the more you recognize that things are not right, the more difficulties you experience. And God tells us this is exactly what we should expect. And there are some very unbiblical things out there. There are people who are saying some very damaging things by saying otherwise, by saying that somehow God is going to fix things in our, in our circumstances if you become a Christian. But that is absolutely nowhere in the Bible. Tim Challey is one of my contemporary heroes in the faith and an example of a man who has been faithful yet suffered unfathomable difficulties and troubles. On November 4th, 2020, Tim Challis wrote these words in his blog. He has a daily blog. In all the years I've been writing, I have never had to type words more difficult, more devastating than these. Yesterday, the Lord called my son to himself, my dear son, my sweet son, my kind son, my godly son, my only son. He says Nick was playing a game with his sister and fiancé and many other students when he suddenly collapsed, never regaining consciousness. Students, paramedics, and doctors battled valiantly but could not save him. He's with the Lord he loved, the Lord he longed to serve. We have no answers to the what or the why questions. He was 21 years of age. But we have a greater example, don't we? We have an infinitely greater example, one who was perfectly righteous and suffered more than anyone else, and that is Jesus Christ, the pilgrim of pilgrims, right? He is our great example. So how does a pilgrim keep himself from getting discouraged in these last few moments here? You keep from being discouraged by knowing that although your life will be filled with perceived problems and difficulties, and get this, yet every real problem has already been solved because of Christ for you. Your real problem is your sin that separates you from God. Your sin has made you an enemy of God. You have declared God your enemy. You have declared war with God because of your sin. And that's not a good thing to do. There's no greater problem than rebellion against God's rule. And that's what sin is. All the misery in the world is because of our sin. The Son of God came in order to save us from our sin by dying on the cross. He became a sacrifice for our sin in order to save us and deliver us from our great enemy and restore us into fellowship with the living God. What are these problems that Christ has solved? Just think about this for a minute. He has forgiven you of your sins, past, present, future, pilgrim. He has imputed his righteousness on your account. He has freed you from bondage and the enslavement of sin. You don't have to sin any longer. 
He has sealed you for eternity with His Spirit. He has brought you into an unbreakable relationship with God. There is no problem that God has failed to address for His pilgrims. Todd Friel said it this way, Becoming a Christian does not make life better. Becoming a Christian makes you acceptable to God. Therefore, we can endure rotten things with joy because our biggest problem has been solved. And what does this have to do with our hope, our country that we're going to? It has everything to do with our hope. You see, only to the degree that you are aware of the firmness of your foundation, of your faith, will you feel the security of your future hope. Think about that. Only to the degree that you are firm in your understanding of the security of the foundation of your faith, of what Christ has done on the cross, will you be secure in the reality of your hope. So those realities must be secure in our mind if we're to live with confident expectation as pilgrims. And we cannot live well as pilgrims if we don't have great hope and confidence in the promises of God. But it comes back to what Christ has done on the cross and the security of what he has accomplished. If he has accomplished for you a salvation that is secure and is unbreakable, then all the promises of God are surely yours without any doubt. If you're standing on Christ, you're therefore standing on an unshakable foundation. Yes, the greatest storms you could imagine will come your way. God wants them to come your way to show how firm of a foundation you are on. He wants to show the greatness of the foundation that he has placed you on. So yes, storms will come and God will show you how great he is through the storms. So what should a pilgrim look like? A pilgrim should have great hope even in the midst of great sorrow. A pilgrim should be the most thankful person even when he has lost everything. A pilgrim should have supernatural joy even with tears. Now, we're, we're dealing with more than just thankfulness and joy. Listen to this. A pilgrim should be quick to repent when he fails because he will fail. He should fight sin and he should pursue obedience to God. Listen to 1 Peter 2 verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to do what? What should we do? Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We are warriors. We are in a battle against sin. A pilgrim should call on others to join them on their pilgrimage. That's what we read in Isaiah 2 verse 3. We're to call others to join us. Come with me on my pilgrimage. And the reason we do that is because we know where we're going. We know that this is the best place to go to. Now, some people won't like us when we tell them that there is a way, a truth, and the life, and it's only through Jesus. Right? Some people won't like that, but we know that it's the most loving thing to do to tell people that there is salvation in Jesus Christ alone, right? And that's why we call others to join us. A pilgrim should help fellow pilgrims to persevere by warning and encouraging them in the faith. And you can look up Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 14 on your own time. <laughs> We're to warn each other not to make this home our resting place. You know, when we see a brother or sister who is living as if this was their permanent dwelling place, we need to lovingly and caringly warn them that this is not our final destination. And we must not live like it is for their good. And remind each other of the glories that await. We need to be telling each other of what awaits us, of the hope that is ahead of us. And we also need to remind each other that the strength to persevere won't come from you, but from God. 
He will keep you in the faith. So persevere, yet God will keep you in the faith. Philippians 1 verse 6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And I will read this last one, but there's a bunch of others I wanted to read. 1 Peter 1 verse 4 through 5. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for his salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is guarding you through faith. He's keeping your faith alive. And that's how you are going to persevere to the end. So how do you persevere as a pilgrim? Feed your faith daily through feasting on the word of God. Remind yourself of the finished work of Christ. Constantly gaze at the promises of God that lie ahead of you. Notice this is how Jesus persevered in Hebrews 12 verse 1. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Remind yourself of the foundation of what Christ has done daily, moment by moment, hour by hour. And then remind yourself of the promises of God. Because when you have that firm foundation, all the promises of God are yours. When I am almost overburdened by my work, when I am struggling with the greatness of the work that is ahead of me, um, and then I remember, man, vacation <laughs> is just two weeks away. All of a sudden, I am revitalized. It's like, almost like I can become a superhuman worker when I was so discouraged and so overburdened. And isn't that the case with our faith? We need to keep the hope of God ahead of us. We need to be reminded we are almost, almost, almost home. We're almost there. It's just ahead of us. You know, that's how we fight burnout, isn't it? If we are struggling with burn, burnout, if we're feeling overworked, remind yourself of the promises of God and how secure they are because of Christ. And God is glorified, and you have confident assurance and peace and joy and delight in him. And you will start telling others that there is salvation in Christ Jesus. Are you a pilgrim? Are you citizens of God's kingdom? Or are you a citizen of this world? It's one or the other. You can't be in both. You're either a citizen of God's kingdom or you're a citizen of this world. And if you're a citizen of God's kingdom, you are a pilgrim today. If you're not, then your home is this world. And this is the best you're going to get. And one day this world and all who loved it will burn up for eternity. Is this the best you're ever going to have right now? Is this your home? Or is glory awaiting you? Are you a pilgrim who is just passing through to your eternal city? How do you become a pilgrim, a citizen of God's kingdom? You become a pilgrim simply the moment you abandon all other means for salvation and look to Christ alone by faith as the basis for all your hope. The saving faith is a confession that renounces the world and bows to Christ as your Lord and Savior. And the moment you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior is the moment you become a pilgrim. And if you're a pilgrim, I want to encourage you with these words. You're almost home. You are almost there. Don't give up. And I realize when we're in the midst of difficulties, right, it seems like life is going forever. <laughs> like this life just goes on and on. It's never going to end. 
But then at the very same time, we can say that it's true that life is passing very quickly, even though we don't feel like it is. And they're both true, isn't it? That it seems like it's taking forever, but yet it's passing quickly. No matter how old or how young you are, if you're a pilgrim, you're almost home. And this is an incredible thought. Let me, read, let me close with Romans 13, b where Paul says this, Our salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. In other words, you're almost home. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, what a, what a great salvation. What a great Savior. Who are we that you would love us so much that you would make known to us our desperate condition that you would open up our hearts to see the truth of your glorious salvation? Who are we that you would love us that much? God, we thank you for saving us. I thank you for the testimonies we heard today. I thank you for reminding us of the great gospel and our great God that we are restored into fellowship with the living God, that we are no longer enemies of God, but now you are completely for us for eternity. What a great thought. Lord, I pray that you would cause your church to rejoice. Lord, even as we go through difficulties, even as we, we mourn and cry and feel the weight of this world and, and cry out to you in desperate need, at the same time, may you give us a joy that will make absolutely no sense to this world. A hope, Lord, that transcends our circumstances. A thankfulness, even when we have nothing. Lord, may we be quick to repent. May we be obedient people. And may we pursue your kingdom. May we be odd and strange people in this world. And may we be a witness and a testimony of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that there's anyone in here who does not know you. Anyone in here who's, who stands under the wrath of God at this very moment. Lord, I pray that you'd make known to them their terrible condition. I pray that you'd make known to them that you are the one who can save them. And you're the only one who can save. And I pray that you would bring salvation to this place today. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for all that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.